you know, what's the bottle of worms? Yeah. No, that's not it. <laughs> then how the- I don't know. I'm so bad at, like, yeah. expressions. <laughs> Can of worms. Can of worms. <laughs> Bottle of worms. Equally grotesque. <laughs> That's the Canadian version. Yeah. <laughs> I'm ambivalently yours. This is Rebelliously Tiny, a podcast where each week a special guest helps me respond to one of the thousands of personal questions I've received on social media. In a world that teaches us that strength is loud, harsh, and masculine, this is a place for those of us whose struggle is both impossibly large and rebelliously tiny. Here's this week's question. I have severe anxiety, and it's hard for me to do some daily tasks. People roll their eyes at me every day and tell me to get over it. No one understands that my anxiety is like this demon on my shoulder. I'm strong, and anxiety does not control me. Would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. I am Celia Adele. I'm 24, almost 25, and I do a few things. I vlog for Everyday Feminism, and I write for Polyester Magazine, and I'm also doing my PhD in philosophy at McGill right now in Montreal. Yeah, a few things on my plate at the moment. (laughs) Just a few little things. (laughs) Uh, Well, yeah, thank you so much for being here. Um, I thought you'd be a really great person to help answer one of my Tumblr questions, because you do a lot of like answering kind of questions on on your vlog and you always give really good advice. So. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, I like giving advice. There's something really personal about it as opposed to just writing like a think piece. There's something nice to engage with the person who actually wrote into you. So I think this is a really good idea. Yeah. Oh, thank, yeah, I really like sort of that interaction that can happen like between like a stranger who's who feels like they can tell you anything because they are a stranger and then mm. the the feeling that you can tell someone anything because they're a stranger. I don't know, you don't have like the whole all the emotions of knowing someone. Like it's different yeah. to give advice to a friend. Yeah, totally, cuz you have more weight in what they're going to do whereas a stranger's advice you can take it or leave it, but it comes from a more objective place, I guess, which is nice. I met Celia last summer when she led a wonderful tea party round table about healthy communication and relationships. Shortly after, I started watching all of her amazing YouTube videos, and I knew that she would be a great person to talk to on this podcast. So I think there's like a lot of things going on in this question. Um, Yeah, I would agree. There's like three things that you could probably pull out of it. The first is that they have anxiety that makes it hard for them to do things on a day-to-day basis, which I can totally relate to. The second is that they feel like no one understands that feeling of anxiety and how much it controls them. And the third is sort of an affirmation, which is really nice to feel like, despite all this, I'm strong and I can get through it, even though people don't understand the struggle, which is really cool. Do you want to maybe talk a bit about like your experience with that and how... Yeah. I mean, I was first diagnosed with an anxiety disorder when I was... 10 or 9 or 10 and it started with this 
weird phobia that I got of school, just going to school. It wasn't anything. I wasn't being bullied or anything was really going on at school. There wasn't really anything going on at home to cause the anxiety to start. I just all of a sudden couldn't make myself go to school. I was irrationally scared of it. And I was too young to really understand what anxiety was. And my parents tried to explain it to me. So I from the beginning of my struggling with anxiety, I have under like I have had that struggle with doing daily normal things that shouldn't cause a problem. It's not just, you know, being overwhelmed by stress about things that should cause stress. Like, you know, everyone gets stressed and an anxious person will feel that even more. But even things that just shouldn't cause stress at all. And once I would get to school when I was 10, it would be fine. I would feel a lot of relief. But it was just for some reason like entering the school that was causing all of the anxiety. Um, so sometimes it's just these weird little things that just completely consume and overwhelm you. And it's really hard to explain that to people when they haven't felt it before. Yeah, I mean, it's funny how anxiety will just completely take over you. I think the last year for me has been the year in my life where I've had the most anxiety. Um, and it's been kind of, it's kind of the year where I've really sort of dove into my my art and my mm. art is now kind of like my my real job I guess which has been really exciting but also really scary and it's made my anxiety sort of triple and yeah. and yeah and the, like you were saying like having anxiety over like the silliest things like some days it takes me like 20 minutes to leave my house because I keep thinking that I left something on and it's going to catch fire and I'm like unplugging everything in my house mm. <laughs> and it's like it it's ridiculous um but like when it's happening to you it's like you can't like there's no control over it it's like a and it's really weird to explain to other people because it seems so natural yeah. to most people <laughs> yeah like just getting up getting dressed going to their responsibility and interacting with other people. Sometimes it, it varies from day to day for me. Interacting with some people on some days, like today, it seems fine. Like I'm totally, you know, obviously I was nervous before coming here, but it was a normal amount of nervous. <laughs> but some days I can't, like, I can't interact with people normally. Like my head is just too in its own self or something, I don't know. Uh, I'm too self-aware and it makes me super socially anxious. And that's something that because it varies from day to day, people sometimes don't understand that some days it can feel fine to talk to someone that you've just met or meet a bunch of new people. And other days it can feel like the end of the world. I would rather just hide under my you know, blanket at home <laughs> and never talk to anyone. Um, so, yeah, those daily tasks can feel like the end of the world, super overwhelming when you're an anxious person, especially on a particularly bad day which everyone has good and bad days. Yeah, it's funny because I feel like some people, when they think about any form of, like, mental illness or struggle, like, they're like, you either have it or you don't. And if you have it, you have it, like, all the time. Yeah. But it's such, like, a... It's, like, not, like, a always all-the-time thing. It's Yeah, totally. I think of anxiety and depression because I struggle with both. I think of them, like, like, waves. They... Anxiety is more constant, I would say, for me personally, in that I've had it since I was 10 and I can't I kind of can't imagine myself without it at this point, even when some days are better than others. Depression, it sort of comes like 
hits me like a wave and I just have to sort of like struggle through it until it passes and just be aware that it will come again at some point and I'll just have to do the same thing. Um, but yeah, mental illness isn't something that you just have constantly all day, every day. I mean, some for some people, maybe it is. Um, but for a lot of people, it's something that you don't know when it's going to come. Some days you just wake up and it's just really bad for no reason whatsoever. Yeah. And the un unpredictability of it is like, it's, it's hard because you can't like plan. Sometimes it's just like, oh. Here it is. Yeah. And especially growing up, I had major anxiety about getting anxiety. <laughs> like I would be like, I want to have a sleepover with my friends. And then I'd be like, what if I get really anxious that day? And then I wouldn't want to plan anything because I felt like that day I would be super anxious. And just being anxious about being anxious was one of my main struggles. And I remember my mom always telling me like, Celia, you're not actually anxious about anything. You're just being anxious about the potential anxiety you might feel in the future. So, but I mean... That doesn't make it go away. It just is a way of rationalizing it, I guess. Yeah. And since you've been dealing with this for a long time, have you found like strategies to like make yourself feel better or ways to work around it or? Yeah, uh, for the most part. I mean, a lot of my coping strategies have to do with just things that make me feel good in the moment. Sometimes you just need a break from anxiety. So I find that I just will... If I'm feeling really overwhelmed, I'll just try to tune out by watching something that is totally like trashy and like I love Teen Mom. Like for some reason, I just love watching Teen Mom. I'm like obsessed because it's like I it's like a reality show. I mean, it's probably somewhat scripted, but you can kind of just get consumed in their life and not think about your own. Not It doesn't really relate. I don't relate to it in a lot of ways because I'm not a teen mom and things like that. So um, there's some kind of distance between me and it. It also works with other non-reality shows, I guess, but that's my personal favorite way. Um, because sometimes when you are feeling super bad, you just need a break to sort of realize that that feeling isn't something that's like intrinsic to you. It's just something that you're feeling. It's a temporary feeling, basically, and it will go away. So even when the show ends, if the feeling comes back, you can know that eventually it will go away and you'll feel good again. Um also, cats are a good help. <laughs> <laughs> I just, like, for some reason, purring, a purring cat totally. has always been so soothing to me. Like, when I was, like, a young, like, when I would first had anxiety, my cat would sleep in a shoebox next to my bed and just purr really loudly. She had a really loud purr, and it was, like, the most comforting sound for me. It was the only way I could sleep is if she was purring there. So I find a lot of comfort in little things like that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, me too. Definitely cats. Um, when I'm like feeling stressed or anxious, um, I'll definitely try to get a cat on my lap. <laughs> um, and and TV too for me. Like for my um, my show that I watch is Gilmore Girls. Okay, that's the one that uh, I need to watch. That <laughs> it's like. <laughs> we we were speaking with Lux for another episode and they said that they use Gilmore Girls as well because it's like just like a bland white person show <laughs> and like not too much yeah. like really happens so it's like good for when you have anxiety. Yeah. It's kind of like the comfort food of of shows. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um but yeah, I think that 
it's really important to find those those little things that you can for me another thing that has helped me a lot was I started listening to podcasts oh yeah because I could listen to them in the job my part-time job I was doing I it was okay if I listened to music and something about like hearing someone's voice distracted my brain enough that I could do other things mm. and it's kind of what inspired me to want to do this podcast because I just got so obsessed with podcasts yeah like, that makes total sense I've had a couple people tell me that they'll put my YouTube videos on but not watch them just have them in a different tab while they're doing other things and they they're like yeah it, it's really nice I'm learning but I'm also like only partially listening so it's just like a nice voice to listen to I don't think I have a nice voice to listen to <laughs> but that's good for them that it helps I got into podcasts about a year ago, when my anxiety and stress levels were at their highest. It was a time when my art began becoming a larger part of my life, which was exciting, but also challenging. I had to balance making money with making art, which doesn't always go hand in hand. Not to mention that I also had to deal with the growing amount of unfiltered feedback and noise that results from having an active online practice. I was struggling, and I needed something to keep my mind occupied, and to slow down the spiraling thoughts that were causing my obsessive, compulsive, and paranoid behaviors. That's when I started listening to podcasts. There was something very comforting about them, something about listening to people talk about things that were important to them that I found calming. It became a way for me to shift my focus from my own anxiety onto something else. I think that makes total sense. You Like an anxious brain is just constantly searching. It's like searching for something to worry about. And when there's nothing there, it just will find something. So it's nice to distract it. And I think that's one of the main things you can do with TV or cats or listening to podcasts or whatever. Um, just finding a distraction that feels good is like so important. Yeah, that's interesting how you say, like, yeah, I'm just looking for something to worry about. I feel like my brain does that all the time. Mm -hmm. And, like, if I've, like, checked all the things on that I worry about, I'm like, okay, I checked all these things. And my brain will like, but what about this thing? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no! <laughs> my dad is really good at pointing that out. I'll call him or something, freaking out. I'm like, oh, my God. And then there's this and this. And he's like, okay, Celia, uh, so... What I'm hearing is there's nothing to worry about and you're just making stuff up at this point. And he doesn't mean it to be condescending. He's really point. He also struggles with an anxiety disorder and he's like, just telling me how it is. Your brain is just finding something to worry about. And, you know, once you realize that you have a bit more control over it because you realize, yeah, OK, the feeling might be there. But rationally, I know that the feeling is wrong. So I can sort of try to ignore it as mm -hmm. best as I can. Uh, maybe we could like talk a little bit about the whole like people telling you to get over it or rolling your eyes or like have you encountered a lot of that kind of yeah thankfully it, it wasn't from my family um I was very lucky in that way I've had quite a few people tell me that that's where they're getting those reactions from their family saying get over it and I did feel like they were doing that sometimes when I was growing up I would constantly be saying I can't go to school today I'm so sick. I can't go. Um, I have like countless diary entries of me being like, I am sick. They don't believe me. But really, it was like my anxiety was just making my body feel all weird and my stomach upset. Um, and they did believe me. They just, you know, you have to go to school. Uh, so, yeah, 
other than that, I've definitely encountered it, you know, on the internet and some people in real life, but mostly they keep that to themselves unless it's not directed, like, right at me. So I had a class once on um, the philosophy of emotions. It's a really interesting class, but we talked about um, anxiety disorders and prescription drugs for them, which is a contentious topic to bring up in a class. And someone aired their grievances against uh, medication for anxiety and basically said, oh, those people should just get over it. Like, you know, they don't need medicine. This is whatever. And I was so enraged by it that as someone who almost never speaks up in class, especially then, I I never said anything. I raised my hand and was like, actually, and stood up for myself because I really felt like I had had enough years behind me of of understanding anxiety and coming to know how much of a role medication plays in my life to be able to defend it. But there are a lot of people who think that, you know, medication just dulls everyone out and that we'd all be better off if we just dealt with our problems instead of taking medicine. And it really doesn't work like that. So it's a really condescending way to talk to someone um, or even just about someone with an anxiety disorder. So I can understand that feeling. And you say online, you mean like people like in the comment section kind of thing? Yeah. Like, just get over it. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, <laughs> the comment section, it's hard to really take any of it that seriously yeah. because like my YouTube is just like, the comments are really, really bad. <laughs> um, I think someone must have put my link on like a Reddit or something mm-hmm. like that. But um a reddit that's not a that's not a term (laughs) but but yeah the comments have been bad i kind of don't read them anymore so i'm saved from that but i know that other people who watch my videos that deal with mental health and illness um some of them do read the comments so they will get a glimpse of what other people are saying about this stuff and that can be really discouraging so i would say if you watch one of my videos on that subject i mean feel free to comment something but maybe don't read the comments. <laughs> it's not a good idea because people are just mean and they don't know what they're talking about, especially when it comes to something like this, which is pretty misunderstood. Yeah, I just I often wonder about these people that seem to spend their days like searching like hashtag feminism just so that they literally can, like, that's what they do. Write some ignorant comment. And not only write comments, but there are people who are making, like, several response videos to my videos. Oh, response videos. Yeah, like, videos at Seedling. This actually, female privilege does exist. And, like, make a, like, 30-minute video response. And I'm like, in what world do you think I'm watching your video? Because I'm not watching it. (laughs) I have no time for that. (laughs) Yeah, I've had people, like, edit my drawings online. Really? Um, One... It was like, I have a drawing that was shared a lot that just said, like, his opinion does not define you. Mm. And then someone, like, like a Meninist or one of those people, <laughs> like, edited it on Photoshop and wrote, hers doesn't define you either. Oh, thank you so much for that. And I was like... It really adds to the photo. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I like I don't disagree with that. And then and later... I made another drawing that's just said their opinion doesn't define you because I, anyway, you know, I didn't want it to be just so Mm. specifically gendered. I think it could be interpreted in a lot of ways, but yeah, it's just like they were so mad. Yeah, that's (laughs) that's the thing. It's like, not that their opinion is totally invalid because some of the people's 
comments on my videos, they're valid criticisms. And a lot of them are stated in ways that I can actually take the criticism and they're not just like buried in slurs and curse words. But uh, yeah, it's it's how angry just saying our opinion on the internet can make some people, especially men. They just really don't like it, a lot of them, and they want everyone else to dislike it. And it's a scary place to be, the internet, sometimes. <laughs> yeah, it's it can be really volatile. And I think, yeah, you have to come up with strategies, like not reading the comments. Like, mm -hmm. if ever there's an article that comes out about my work and they post it on Facebook, like, I never... Yeah. Like, I've made it... I've made the mistake to, like, read the comments and I'm like, no. Yeah, exactly. Like, there are certain places on the internet that I think it's safe to do that. Like, Everyday Feminism, when they post my videos... For the vast majority of the commenters, they are feminists and they're, they might be criticizing it or critiquing my video, but it's like positive, constructive crit criticism. So reading those comments can be kind of hard because, you know, it's hard to take criticism sometimes, but it's also rewarding. Whereas YouTube comments are like a whole other, you know, what's the bottle of worms? Yeah. No, that's not it. <laughs> then how I don't know. I'm so bad at, like, yeah. expressions. <laughs> Can of worms. Can of worms. <laughs> Bottle of worms. Equally grotesque. <laughs> That's the Canadian version. Yeah. <laughs> I think it should be normal to express your emotions regardless of where you are, um, as long as it's in a healthy way and it's not hurting anyone else, obviously. And I think the only emotions that we allow for that to happen are ones like anger. Um, and that's not a healthy one to express around other people, especially. So, yeah, I think it's really good to be able to recognize your own anxiety and know that that vulnerability that it creates in you is not something that takes away from your strength. You can be both vulnerable and strong at the same time in a lot of ways acknowledging your anxiety makes you stronger because you're more able to um, combat it, I guess, in your own head. And you're more able to be open about it with other people, which in turn will help them feel stronger. Yeah. I mean, I remember when I was in grad school, it was like really intense for me because, you know, I was like kind of leaving my job to go back to school and to, I was studying feminism it was all very overwhelming and I was going through some personal stuff that were very overwhelming and so when I was at school and going through critiques I'd often feel like very emotional and very like sensitive to everything that was being said to me but I so desperately didn't want to be the crying girl mm. like I didn't want to be the girl crying in the critiques um so I would just like stuff it in and like the only way I could like not cry is to not talk a lot and <laughs> it was to a point where like the faculty thought that I was just really insecure and mm. that I wasn't really getting what they were trying to tell me and then they almost like held me back a semester because they wow they weren't like seeing like they thought I wasn't getting it and then when they kind of like brought up well maybe you should like like be held back and you know maybe you still need to work on stuff and then I just like had a meltdown mm. in like the like the faculty advisor's office I just like cried for half an hour in front of them and like let it all out and <laughs> it was like, <laughs> so embarrassing and then the next day I like cried all day at school and I was like the crying girl and then but then I was I realized like how silly I had been and how I almost like 
got myself held back in school just because I didn't want to show emotion in public. Yeah. And once I did, and once I just stood up for myself, I was like, no, I get it. I know what I'm doing. And they're like, oh, okay, cool. And then in the end, like, I did well. And they're like, oh, you were right. But I realized, like, I was being my own worst enemy by, like, Mm. by not wanting to be the crying girl. And I think sometimes it's like, it's okay. (laughs) Yeah, totally. I'm always the crying girl. (laughs) Once I cried in my professor's office I went in there to ask him for help with an assignment and he basically told me like I can't help you you have to figure it out and I just was like what and I just started crying and I could stop crying it was so awkward I like he tried to keep talking to me and I like didn't want him to see that I was like bawling my eyes out so I was like awkwardly covering my face and then ran out of the room it was very very awkward (laughs) but I'm basically like I cry super easily just it doesn't even have to be yeah like it doesn't have to be sadness it's Mm -hmm. just like any overwhelming emotion just comes like tears just start coming so I have cried in front of countless people I cry in public more often than I'd like (laughs) but it's something that I've just had to come to accept about myself because I can't really take much control over that part um my family just laughs because I'm just like such a crybaby about everything. Um, yeah. So, but it's it's interesting because I cry so often, people have sort of become more accepting of it. Um, they don't, they're like, oh, Celia's crying again. Like they'll ask me if I'm okay, but it's not like that big of a deal. Whereas if someone like my dad cried, I've literally never seen him cry. So if he cried, we'd all be like very concerned. There would be something very serious going on. And I think it's nice for me to have that, sort of liberation from the seriousness of crying because sometimes you just want to cry sometimes it just Mm -hmm. feels good to cry you just need to let some of your emotions out and yeah so that's a nice thing to be able to do to to accept your crybabiness (laughs) yeah I'm a huge believer in like having like meltdowns every once in a while and just like just like letting it all out and like just feels better after Mm -hmm. because sometimes when you're just kind of bottling it in like a bottle of worms (laughs) (laughs) gotta let those worms out gotta let the worms out um yeah it just it helps yeah it does it's a misconception that vulnerability equals weakness in a world that favors being stoic over showing any kind of emotion willing to feel things in a public way is extremely brave and strong Furthermore, there is something about openness that makes it easier for other people to be more open as well. Public displays of emotion encourages connection, empathy, and new friendships. I think just in terms of the question, the person was saying that they feel like no one understands them. And I can relate to that, but I also think that they should know that there are people that will and do understand them. It's just a matter of finding those people. Um, For a lot of people, that is a matter of finding the right space on the internet, whether it's YouTube or Tumblr or whatever. Um, Finding a community of people who are struggling with the same things can feel really good um, because there's nothing worse than feeling anxious and alone. Like when I started this PhD, I was almost immediately overwhelmed. I felt like I can't do this. I have like major imposter syndrome. I felt like I'm a fraud. Everyone's going to find out that I'm actually not very smart and... I somehow scammed my way in here. Um, But I made friends with a couple other people in my program and they both expressed to me that they felt the same way. And it was like immediately I felt 
some of my anxiety leave. It was like, okay, yeah, I still feel those things, but knowing that other people are struggling in the same way makes them feel a lot more tolerable because I realized that there is less weight to those feelings than I originally thought. I'm probably not the fraud that I think I am. Yeah, I feel that way all the time too, that imposter syndrome. I'm always like just waiting for the day that it's going to just come out on the internet and everyone's going to be like, <laughs> yeah. this person's a hack. Yeah, exactly. They suck at art. They're a horrible person. <laughs> I'm just like waiting every day. But like to get back to what you were saying, like I think that just shows the value and just like being open, mm. like not with everybody, but when if you can find people that you can be open with and... Because, yeah, because there's, like, nothing more comforting than finding someone else who, like, can completely relate to what you're going through. Yeah. And it just makes it seem less scary and impossible to overcome. Yeah. And being open invites those people to find you also. Mm -hmm. Like, they might not feel comfortable yet saying those things. So if you are the one to say, wow, I'm feeling really overwhelmed and anxious, someone else might feel like, yeah, so do I. Like, I can relate to you. And that's a really amazing thing to find someone else who feels that way even if they aren't struggling exactly the same way with an anxiety disorder and all these things but you'd be surprised how many people are suffering from an anxiety disorder after we finish recording zishi a high school student who you may have met in a previous episode and who was interning with us all day stood up and started asking celia some additional questions we immediately turned the recorder back on and kept the conversation going it was one of those amazing moments that shows how being open with one another creates a safe space for others to be open and ask questions too. Okay, yeah, so if you're ever dealing with some mental illness like like anxiety or depression or other mental illness there is, um, when is the right time to like share it with your friends or your family members? Hmm. I feel like my experience was different because they sort of came to me like there's something up here. Um, but for most people, I would say when you feel like something to do with your emotions is working against you in your life, like when you're finding it hard to do things that shouldn't feel hard to you, that's when you need help. And you should reach out to someone who can offer some help, whether that's parents or a doctor or something. In terms of talking to just like your peers, your friends, I mean express that whenever you're feeling it like if you're feeling anxious but you don't know for sure if it's a disorder or if you're just feeling extra stressed today that's a good thing to talk to your friends about because they're probably feeling the same way or have felt the same way and can give you some comfort so I feel like there's never a bad time to talk to your friends about it um, as in terms of actually reaching out for help there's probably a certain point where you'll hit and you'll go okay I don't want to deal with this on my own anymore. I want someone to give me some guidance um, in terms of how to make it better. And that would be when you reach out to them. Okay. But, like, when you, like, go through difficult times, like, when did it hit you that, oh, I have anxiety? Like, Mm. rather. Yeah. It was, for me, that would be more... I could answer that easier with depression because I got depression later in life. I got it when I was living abroad in England. And... I sort of just like started to feel really off. Like I just didn't feel like myself and it started getting harder and harder for me to find motivation to get out of bed and do my work. And yeah, it was just sort of like one day I I sort of reflected on the past couple weeks or so 
and was like, mm, that's not right. Something's not right here. It, it wasn't like there was a moment in my day that made me realize it. It was more just that I was reflecting on how I had felt for the past little bit. And I realized that it wasn't how I wanted to feel and it wasn't how I was used to feeling. So that's when I, I started talking to my partner, like, I think I might be depressed or something's going on with me, with my health. And then I went to the doctor and started crying in his office and told him something's wrong and I don't feel like myself. But I had never struggled with depression before that. So I knew so much about it, but I couldn't exactly recognize it in myself until the doctor asked me all the symptoms that I was having. And he was like, yeah, that's depression. But does it, do you have to live like, like before, does he have to, do you have to be diagnosed to actually call it? depression or I don't think so I mean you can definitely self-diagnose there's um you know pros and cons to both sides of going to a doctor and getting a diagnosis and doing it yourself I think with something like anxiety and depression you can probably you know diagnose based on the research you can do on your own um, because it's not like there's a test that the doctor gives you that you know comes out positive for anxiety or something it's more like if you are reading about an anxiety disorder and you feel like yeah that's me um then it probably is and in terms of like going to find help for that or a treatment for that that's where you would want to talk to someone who has more experience like a doctor or whoever like a therapist i went to a therapist when i was in grade eight and just like was a mess emotionally and had like a huge anxiety it wasn't even an anxiety attack. It was like a prolonged anxiety attack over a long period of time about going to summer camp. And I had to like go to a therapist and they had to give me strategies for how to uh, deal with my emotions. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so it's like I knew already at that point that I had anxiety, but I just needed help for dealing with it. So that's when you should reach out. Yeah. So like last year I had like was this really bad period of my time, like on my life. I was like, I was really sad and like... Mm. I don't know, I started really crying, like, a lot. And, I, like, I started telling, like, some people, because it was acting out, like, the way that I can control it. So people would take notice, and they asked me, like, like, my French teacher, like, she asked me, like, we're doing a project, and she asked me if I was okay, and I couldn't, like, I really wanted to control, like, myself not to cry. Mm. But, I, like, it would let out, and I had to, like, because I was also seeing my school psychologist at that time, but I was, like, in secret, because I didn't want mm. anybody to know. And, um... So, like, every Monday, I'd go to her office, and we'd talk. And um, that time, like, it was on, like, a Wednesday or something, I, like, bursted out everything. I couldn't control anything, so I had to, like, go to another lady that I talked and shared my feelings about with. And and then, like, I had to go back to class because I wanted to, because I want to continue the project because school mm. and stuff. And I also talked to my French teacher at the end of the class, which was great. But, like, I struggle with actually saying, like, oh... I was depressed. Like, I didn't feel right saying that I was depressed, but I wasn't feeling right saying that I wasn't either. Yeah. Like, like you didn't feel your normal self. Yeah. But you don't want to just put a label on it if you yeah, don't know for of, sure. Yeah. And at that point, like, I actually shared one of my feelings with one of my friends, and she also felt the same way, so that actually brought us closer. That's nice. Like, from the year before, because I met her, like, two years ago in eighth grade, and we became friends then, but we weren't really close. Like, we kind of did not like each other at first <laughs> and then as year like last year we really got we got really close and we share our feelings and we really we skype every time i know we see each other every day we skype after school 
and that's really nice. But she's like the kind of person who's really um like independent, and she doesn't really want to go out for help. Mm. And like I don't know, she's like I, I actually suggested her and like suggest like maybe do you want to see a psychologist together and something like that? Do you want to like come to one of my like meetings? Mm. And she's like, no, it's okay. I don't need it. Like I'm good. Yeah. Well, everyone has yeah. different ways of dealing with yeah. it. But it's really good to be open about it. And if you have each other to be open about how you're feeling, that is huge and can be maybe that's helping her more than you even realize. Um, whereas, you know, it's good for you to have these other outlets to talk about it with someone who has the experience and knows sort of what to say in those situations. For your friend, it might be just enough to, like, let it out to you and just feel like you understand and validate her feelings. And that could be really healing for her. So. That's just like everyone's different and everyone needs a different amount of support when they're dealing with these things. Um, if you feel like you were or are depressed, though, I mean, I would trust your gut feeling on that. I think that you know your feelings better than anyone else, better than a doctor. Um, so if you have you know, done the research about what the symptoms are and stuff and they maybe not every single one of them, but they feel like they correspond to how you're feeling, then yeah. Uh, it seems like you're already doing the right things to help yourself uh, get through it, though. So that's good. Thank you. Yeah. To find out more about Celia's work, you can find her as at Seedling, C-E-E-D-L-I-N-G, on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Rebelliously Tiny was written, produced, and edited by me, Ambivalently Yours, and co-produced by Hannah McCasland. The music is by Greg Barkley. This episode was recorded at Obero Artist Run Center in Montreal, with technical support from Stéphane Claude. Special thanks to the entire team at Obero for their technical, financial, and emotional support. Additional thanks to our special guests for taking the time to talk with us. To learn more about my work and this podcast, please visit my website, ambivalentlyyours.com, or follow me on social media, at ambivalentlyyours on Instagram and Facebook, at AmbivalentlyU on Twitter. To see the drawing inspired by this episode, or to submit a question of your own, please check out the Tumblr where this all began, ambivalentlyyours.tumblr.com. If you like our podcast, please share it with your friends and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. With your help, hopefully we can build up enough momentum so that website development and shippable mattress companies want to fund our second season. Thank you.